There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Living Room Logic. Welcome to Living Room Logic, a place for you to chill out and have a laugh with two scientists who know too much about very, very little. This episode, we explain how most of us are already cyborgs, how Elon Musk wants to put a computer in your brain, and how rich people will live forever in the cloud and laugh at the rest of us. If you're not a robot, follow the podcast on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. If you enjoy what you hear, maybe leave a review or tell a friend. Come find us on Instagram or Twitter or other social media that you'll get around to cleaning up for potential employers. Sit back and enjoy this enhancing excursion. Welcome, everyone, to the next episode of our wonderful podcast where we talk about things that we know nothing about. And it's uh, it's one of our pastimes at this point. Um, <laughs> and today, me and Andrew are going to talk to you about some weird uh, enhancements and changes to the the human body and the what it means to be a human um, and I think the term for this and the term that is given to it is to be a, a cybernetic organism or a cyborg and so I Andrew I like cyborg <laughs> I like cyborg and so Andrew I'm going to throw it your way first of all what is a cyborg? So just to kind of like put put a frame around it is to kind of say that a cyborg is a technology enhanced human, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, like we, we think of cyborg and we think of this human walking down the street and then it turns out to be like the Terminator and his arm turns into a like plasma gun or something. And like <laughs> that's, that, that's the first, like that's because we watch too many movies. Yeah. But um, no, but a cyborg is to kind of say a technology enhanced human being. Mm-hmm. Okay, and the reason I, I wanted to do the podcast this week on this technology enhancing humanity mm-hmm. topic was actually because uh, my phone stopped working, and I had to send my phone away, and I had to it had to go get fixed, and I was without a phone for about a week and a half. And that um, must have been really tough. <laughs> what a first world modern age problem it was. <laughs> but but the thing is is that it was really strange. Like, the first thing I noticed, right, was um, I went to sleep and needed an alarm clock. Mm-hmm. And my body was not good at waking up. And it, I was panicked going to sleep because I was like, oh, my God, what if I don't wake up on time? And yeah. I ended up having a horrible night's sleep. The next day, I noticed that I kept patting myself down like I was going through the airport or something. Like, oh, and, and I'd be doing it unconsciously. You know, like, wallet, keys watch where's my phone where's my phone where's my <laughs> and, and and then I, I I like it's like a subconscious thing right and I, I'm like patting myself down and then and then I consciously become aware of it that I'm panicking and I'm saying <laughs> okay you don't have a phone right now and, and my subconscious is like oh oh right okay this is weird okay but like the thing it, it just kept crossing into my mind I was like how many different ways have we just changed and become somewhat dependent on this technology that my unconsciously I am looking for it 
I'm I'm it is a part of me. It's like lose it's it it's like an absent limb. Mm-hmm. It's something that I expect to be on me and I am looking for it. I am making sure it is there and I'm actually getting a little panic. So, like unconscious panic about it that I need to soothe myself and say it's okay it'll come home soon <clears throat> you know and I have my phone back now and and my b- whole body is completely delighted um, <laughs> I'm ba- I, I'm fulfilled again okay you're back to your full cybernetic organism self yeah you know my the the full combo the whopper you know it's <laughs> uh you know before I was just the side of fries and I I, I need the the main the main part the you main, know that's how it, that's the big mac yeah. the big mac <laughs> that but that's how it feels you know and like it, it just it really got me thinking of like all the different ways that um th- these phones could be affecting us like I, I I did like reading and I saw that like actually having phones and there's like a direct association between how much you think of your phone and how much your how good your memory recall is. Mm-hmm. Okay, so in basic, so basically, if you're the type of person who thinks about their phone, like I obviously am, based on my experience, mm-hmm. uh, your your ability to recall things isn't as good. Okay, and it's probably and it's like theor, it's like theorized to be associated with. Well, you don't need to actively learn and actively recall information from your head because it's in your pocket okay so it's gone from using your brain to recall all this and wow yeah which is and it is a movement and it does make you start to think of like how this started (laughs) like how did we get to the place where you feel a little lost without your phone how did we get to the place where the presence of technology is actively shaping our cognition it's actively shaping us uh, and it did get me thinking, and I just started thinking about tools, right? Mm-hmm. You know, you think of like um, all like people, and they spend time with the chimps, and they go into the jungle, and it, it must be a beautiful sight to see <laughs> to see a very angry monkey working with a, a nut that he can't <laughs> crack, and then he has that eureka moment where he grabs a rock, and then like you know just throws it away because he doesn't know, but eventually picks it up and then lobs it at the nut and realizes. <laughs> I just broke the nut. Yeah. And that moment, and that is, that's at its most basic level, that is the first, that's like a first step of using something outside of us Mm -hmm. to uh, enhance our performance, right? Mm -hmm. To add to us. And then I'm sure that those uh, monkeys from now on, they're going to start eating more foods that are harder to get to because they can use the rocks to get into them. And Mm -hmm. if you took away their rocks, they'd be more likely to go hungry. Okay, and this stuff continues. And like, when you go more basic, right, and you just keep thinking about it, we kept using all of this technology to enhance our physical performance. Okay, Mm -hmm. we saw we saw ourselves as like these. uh, You know, we were trying to hunt, so we made we we couldn't. You know, punch a wildebeest to death. You know that we're not we're not like that. We're not all Mike Tyson. Mm -hmm. So we were like, right, let let's get some spears. Let's get some some rocks make them sharp put them on big things so we can keep a distance and use that and that will enhance our performance and make a bow and we can use that to enhance our performance and Mm -hmm. and then we moved into another age and we moved into like the agricultural age and we were like right this is a trek we we, (laughs) i i am i'm pulling all of this corn that i've put i've made in my farm so much corn so much corn it's if only there was a way to make it go quicker and you and then you off in the distance you saw jack the donkey doing nothing 
and the first human put Jack the donkey to work to drag all this corn. Oh, Jack, (laughs) you don't know what your your species is getting into, buddy. But that's the thing. And again, it's you put a cart on the back of a horse and now the horse and cart is this new technology that we use to enhance our performance to now make even more food. And if you had someone on a farm and you took away all, all back then, if you took away their horse and their cart, things wouldn't run as smoothly. Yeah. Once you have this technology, you adapt to it and without it, you're stuck. Mm-hmm. And this stuff, like now we're kind of accelerating into the modern age and we're talking about things like cars and we we use cars and carriages and things like that to uh, move much heavier weights okay mm-hmm. you know when when you set fire to dinosaurs you can move things really far that's a <laughs> that's the way that we use fossil fuels you know and that was the discovery we can be more proactive and more active in this stuff mm-hmm. but then we had things like cars were just the first step and then they made trains and you can just, if you just look at the states and you don't have to look deep to find that the train industry is what really built up the states. Yeah. Being able to connect all the different all the different states together in the US and move resources around. And even the British Empire would build train, train tracks in all of its colonies from sources, of, from places with resources to docks to mm-hmm. move around the world. Mm-hmm. And that's again, like you're, we're, we're talking about moving from being able to more easily move corn from the field to your house with a donkey to move like cocoa from the Caribbean back to England okay a huge jump but that is what technology gives us and now we have planes and we have really cool cars and we have all of this stuff and now technology isn't moving so far towards like what we do it's not towards like uh, we we don't have to do that much physical work mm-hmm. you know like in comparison to you know back in the day and when i say back in the day i mean from yesterday to about six thousand years ago i mean that it's not as physical and now it's now technology is actually turning around and it's more of a what we are that's getting changed now yeah. you know mm-hmm. and i and it's it's just it's and that's it's back to the phones and it's like now technology is doing things like making me super intelligent because i have access to all of the information in the whole wide world and if you give me my phone i can probably answer any question you want you know yeah so Andrew, and that's amazing to kind of summarize what you just said and i think it just kind of clicked in my head right there over time you know with the use of technology humans through a snowball effect of exponentially gaining more and more technology we Hmm. adapted our environment the earth yeah to our needs to a point where the earth is completely adapted to humans needs where yeah where, where we've hit a wall where transport is as fast as it can be while being safe um yeah. and now as you said this this introverted technology or this technology now we're trying to say hmm how can we adapt ourselves exactly. to be more efficient because our exactly. earth our earth and the way that we use it it's almost hit a a, a stalemate like a a, yeah. a point where we we've used so much of the earth's resources where we, we kind yeah. of don't know what else the earth has to give 
Exactly. You can only blow up dinosaurs so hard. <laughs> you know, you know, you can only uh, you can only burn decayed dinosaur for so long. You know, um, there's only so much you can do with it. But it is. Yeah, I, I just think it's so interesting. And um, that that turn is really cool. And I, and I think that's what I want to talk about for the rest of the episode. I want to talk about that turn of where now we, we've gone from using technology to help us carry great tons of weight and farming gear and moving things across continents. And now we're actually trying to make subtle changes to ourselves to make our personal experience of life better. And it's mostly to talk about the human experience. And it's to talk about enhancing our experience of life, which most often means extending it. Mm -hmm. It means making sure we can have a full experience of it. um, And to make sure that we counteract anything which might knock us down. Because Mm -hmm. now that the world around us is built for us, the only thing, the only problems left to fix are within. Mm Mm-hmm. And yeah. and so, you know, bringing us up to, in terms of a timeline, bringing us up to today, we're at a point where the technology in terms of cybernetic technology mm. is actually pretty sophisticated. I mean, you have things like as simple as glasses and contact lenses, but then, you know, you get quite sophisticated in terms of things like pacemakers. I mean, a pacemaker yeah. makes you technically a kind of non-cool cyborg. <laughs> uh, it's a totally cool cyborg. <laughs> you know why it's a totally cool cyborg? Because if it's not a totally cool cyborg, it's a corpse. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm calling that a totally cool cyborg. <laughs> and, and no matter who thinks what is cool, the dude <laughs> with the pacemaker is still going for a solid 10, 15 years more. And, absolutely. And, and absolutely. Like, basically, all, all a pacemaker is, is an electrode array attached to one of your chambers in your heart. And it's just adding the tiniest bit more of a, an electric pulse to that uh, chamber to make it work a little bit better. <clears throat> the thing is, other than that, you know, there are several organs in the human body where such devices have been made up. I mean, you can think of things like a cochlear implant, which is um, in your cochlea, in your ear, in your inner ear. Again, it's very similar. You're getting a, a microphone array, you're attaching it to the outside of your uh, ear, and then you're just sticking an electrode strip into your inner ear and somehow that your brain (laughs) your brain figures out that that is a a a pattern of sound Um, and and you know i can go on i mean it's the same with a retinal implant a little camera in the back of your eye um, if you have lost your sight you can do that attach it to your um, optic nerve and hey presto you have a a vision you have a kind of maybe low resolution image that's amazing and um to think that there are people who would for a large portion of their life go without any sensation of sound any sensation of hearing people who could yeah. never listen to this podcast my heart goes out to them um <laughs> <laughs> it would be terrible, terrible. Those poor things but also things like the not being able to see and not only the um, people who go through their life without being able to see, but there's also the potential for people who have never seen to begin seeing. Mm-hmm. And that's that's just, mm-hmm. it's such a perfect feat of technology. 
because it's giving mm-hmm. it's just giving you more life it's giving you more life to live you're you just get to experience it all of the senses mm-hmm. like that's all a of the senses. perfect cyborg like like if i think of being a cool cyborg i'm like man it'd be so cool to have x-ray vision just see a load of skeletons in the shop like that'd be interesting but even better <laughs> than that would be if i couldn't see at all and i would say i would love to see that is just so much more important mm-hmm. than me having x-ray vision <laughs> and and similar yeah. is people who can't walk i mean or people who who, who don't have uh, their peripheries their yeah. their limbs their arms their legs um you know there's some amazing research right now that's happening right now um in mit a, a professor called hugh Hare in mit is working on bionic leg technology and it's it's incredible and it's incredibly simple yeah the idea current or say prosthetic legs in the past uh, were literally um for lack of a better term just a you know plastic leg attached yeah. to the bottom of your stump on 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 your leg and what the researchers in MIT are doing is that they've actually realized that there's this really important basic simple idea of um what is called um agonist yep. antagonist pair of muscles mm-hmm. in in all of your peripheries so you know if you can imagine this when you bring your arm towards yeah. your face and flex your bicep yeah. your tricep is not flexed and when you do the opposite your bicep relaxes yeah. and your tricep is flexed okay that's an an, an agonist antagonist pair and the great thing about those on your peripheries is that actually say i lost my mm-hmm. leg from my knee down andrew the next part up on my leg is my femur with my quadricep muscle on top and my hamstring yeah. muscle on the back okay there are set of tendons that surgeons can actually attach together at the bottom of that uh, yeah, stump yeah. now because it's now a stump okay if you get the technology that the mit researchers are making once you make that connection between those two muscles the agonist and antagonist pair once you connect those you're actually reconnecting the neural link between those two muscles to your brain yeah that's really cool and it's it sounds really basic but actually if you can get electrodes attach one to the quad one to the hamstring and both of those electrodes attach to a bionic leg every time you think about moving your quad yeah it makes the leg lift up that's great and every time you think about moving your hamstring it pushes the leg down it's not even thinking it's actively trying to it's subconsciously doing it yeah it's yeah. all in your subconscious. It, it's just so cool that you can kind of take advantage of that pull and push muscle pair, you know. And it, it does seem to make sense, you know, um, that if I want to kick someone, I have to send a signal to my leg to say, OK, at this point, I want to really make the muscle on top of my leg pull tight and kick someone, you know, yeah. give it a whack. And it makes sense that, well, that signal's still going to my leg, mm-hmm. whether there's a le- whether there or to my uh, thigh, whether there's a leg there to give the kick or not. Yeah. It doesn't matter. So yeah, that's awesome. The, the kind that's of awesome. where we're at, the apex of our technology right now is that those researchers have made one of those what we call a neurally linked oh. bionic leg to this guy who had a really bad rock climbing accident. He, t- he shattered half the bones in his body, body oh. but he had to get his uh, left ankle amputated. And 
the by connecting this neurally linked left foot, he can still rock climb because that's insane. His left foot can make these really acute changes. If he looks at his foot, the foot can make the tiniest little change and go in a foothold. That is crazy. Do you know how complicated like the calf muscles are? Mm-hmm. Like, like, you know, you have like muscles on top of your thigh and you have muscles behind your thigh. There's like two under your thigh, one, four on top that, you know, pull and push. But your calf has so many muscles to move your foot in all of the directions. Like, eight nine ten i can't remember i i had a module on it in college and i blocked it out because i had to remember it all <laughs> it hurt my so brain many. it did hurt my brain um <laughs> it was a toughie but the point i'm trying to make is that the beauty is in the simplicity in that yeah we need to do very simple things the complex thing is the brain and the brain is working out all of the problems yeah the brain is First of all, the bionic leg is sending the brain information and the brain is sending information back to the bionic leg and the bionic leg is responding. That's great. How is the leg sending information to the brain? Uh, There's an electrode array attached from the bionic leg to those muscles. So it's not just receive data, it's send data and receive data. It's read and write. So So the leg is like sending like a signal of, okay, we're under a bit of stress here. <laughs> that the leg should feel a bit stressed right now. Tell the, tell the brain that uh, we need help here. Don't keep going. <laughs> it's, it's crazy how this guy now just thinks that this bionic leg is a part of him. It's not that he's yeah. cybernetically enhanced. He just feels like he has a leg again. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and I think that's the amazing thing. Absolutely. That's the the precipice of current technology what we want to keep doing is to try and push past that precipice you know i do i do and it's so wonderful as well it's so wonderful and not even like the um uh building an extremely lifelike mm-hmm. leg but also like you see the the tech in um the special olympics with the sprinters right and it looks like i don't know how it looks like a ski thing that you throw on the that's what it looks like uh, on these uh sprinters legs Mm -hmm. it looks like they're, they're attached to these like ski like um springs and the fact that you can still imagine losing both of your legs from the knees down and still being able to run 100 meters in like 13 seconds it would take me about 18 (laughs) <laughs> you know it would, it would take me inf- an infinite amount of time <laughs> an, inf- an infinite because i would never yeah. try but like <laughs> but that, that's that's awesome you know and before these things were becoming available it was a much greater fear a much greater fear like not to go on a massive segue but it does it, it rolls back to um the periods of war but uh, in the 20th century mm-hmm where so many people would come back with amputated limbs and their lives would be very difficult. Yeah. Very, very difficult because they didn't have any of this. And it became a it became a thing and that, that you had to support these people and that it was so tough. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, on both sides of that argument, the, the people on the receiving end of that don't want to be in this position mm-hmm. where people respect them because they know that their life is tough. They'd much rather say... Actually, my life is great, Actually, <laughs> which is where we're moving isn't now. Much different to yours. You know, it isn't much different. And uh, right now, to be honest, I think the only thing between it being not a problem and a problem is the fact that it's quite expensive. Mm-hmm. Like 
all of these artificial limbs. They're not exactly, uh, you know, a, a bag of crisps in the shop that you just go pick it up. And no, these things are personally designed for yeah. you. They're built for you're you. Right. They're not. They're not available. And uh, like, like, and and that completely makes sense, though. Mm-hmm. Uh, everybody is completely different. Completely different. And these things need to be built for you and like um there's adorable photos on the internet that you see as well of like um these uh people growing up and as they're getting older these children who were born without a limb and as they grow up they're getting like every year a new limb and they're all excited and they're bubbly to get their their new arm or their new leg for the next year to grow into and it's like a a yearly rite of passage but it's it's not cheap yeah it's not cheap, and that's the that that is the that's the next step. You the know, next step is making it affordable. Definitely. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And like, uh, yeah, is there anything any others? Um, there's some really good stuff going on with bionic arms as well, but the technology is not there yet. The feet are easier and the legs are easier because of the fact that you don't have yeah. the opposable thumbs and the they're they're incredibly course, difficult. Yeah. But there is there is yeah. technology for neurally linked um arms and hands. But, that's really I, but again, cool. I think yeah. I think that's a great point to make, Andrew. That the price is is the problem right now. The price is the problem. But but the, and and it's also important to say is that I wouldn't blame the people who develop these for putting a price on it because I imagine that the manpower it takes to produce any of mm-hmm. these to design them to make them work it must it must cost a fortune well, to do because it takes people. The one thing that I will say about researchers in that field is that they are incredibly charitable i mean that guy uh professor hugh Hare, he also yeah. doesn't have legs oh right he has two bionic legs as well so oh, there's wow. some personal motivation there but there's also very charitable motivation those people you know you hear stories of people making 3d printing prosthetics for kids because uh, yeah. they're, they're simply so expensive that they're just doing this in of their course, spare time yeah. because there is not enough money available or funding available for them, you know? Of course, yeah. And that's that's so cool. And, like, I, I, I really love the um, precision medicine side of it, mm-hmm. the kind of building it for, building something like this for each other, you know, uh, to kind of recognise, okay, well, we're all completely different. We need a individual bionic leg. And, like, it's a huge area of research that is bubbling up now is the idea of precision medicine. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not enough to... And, and the idea, it goes back uh, all as far as the, the father of modern medicine in Hippocrates, right? And it was Hippocrates who said that, um, I'm paraphrasing, but he says, you'll do much better by treating the person and not the disease, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and we went through a big phase in research of like trying to understand a disease, trying to understand what causes the problem and then fixing the problem. But the important realization is that the way that these problems manifest in each person is completely different. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, it manifests very differently. And, and a, a simple one is just um, the way that something might affect a man and a woman the way someone it might affect uh, people with different genetic backgrounds maybe you have a predisposition to suffering from a certain disorder or something like yeah. that and like I, I love thinking about like the the way and, and like this isn't directly now like we think cyborg and we think uh you know uh, put a machine leg on me or uh, or a plasma gun on my arm or something but this is still a technology technology enhancing humanity because all we're doing is we're doing bibbidi bobbidi poop on the computer and then it cures you of an ailment and and it's like, that's a pretty good way to be. <laughs> but like, the, there's cool things, okay, right? So there's like this concept that that's still in the works of having a little version of you on a plate, right? 
So you'll take a, a little bit a, a little bit of tissue and that'll be your heart. Mm-hmm. You'll take a little bit of your liver and that'll be your <laughs> liver. And they go through all of your different organ systems, right? So it's it's a little organ buffet of your things. And what you do is you can run things by it. If you're about to take a, a dangerous treatment, let's say a, a drug that hasn't been tested too much before for something you have, the drug can be tested on this organ motorway, yeah. right? The drug will go through all of the systems and then you can look at all of the different tissues and how they managed before you actually put it in your body. And the fact that this is in the works alone makes me, it, it blows my mind. Mm-hmm. It blows, like the, the fact that you could have that and they could use it to test it. And I, I love that idea. And if you have any of these disorders, that they can actually take it from you and see what will work. Mm-hmm. And there's another side to it as well that's really cool, right? Where there's a huge problem of um, the drugs that you might take to cure a disease or something like that. And it doesn't work for people. And a lot of the time, people actually have a big negative reaction. And that happens. Yeah. There's a whole area where they're literally taking your genome and recognizing, right, what drug suits this person best. Mm -hmm. It's not that long ago that we first got a human genome. You know, like the first full human genome. Now we know all of the genes, Mm -hmm. right? This is literally taking that same information that a decade or two ago was the most amazing thing in the whole world. And it's actually analyzing it and saying, oh, this will cure your sneeze. Or in, in reality, more so along the lines of, this is the antidepressant that will work for you. Yeah. And it'll it'll save someone the hassle of having to work with an antidepressant that's not working for them for weeks and weeks on end. And it, and the fact that it's not working in someone who's depressed might have a negative impact on them. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm not getting better. And then that's, you know, naturally leads to worse circumstances. But instead of that, and, and depression is a perfect example because um, you want to enjoy life. And depression is a huge, huge thing in the way of that. And we have like five or six different categories of antidepressants. And it's pretty much, okay, well, first we're going to give you the one that's most likely to work. And then we're going to give you a different one that we're kind of guessing. And after the third one, we're kind of just tossing it up in the air and seeing what sticks. Um, but like, but that's the, the, like, it, it isn't that far off. It isn't that far off. And, and it, it's yeah. also the balance between, you know, giving a drug enough time to work. But the fact that you there is the potential in the near future that someone could look at your genetic makeup and say, this is the antidepressant most likely to help you. And uh, the amount of life experience and the amount of life that that could gift back to someone is absolutely, in my books, a technology enhancing the human experience every day of the week. It sounds totally in the realm of sci-fi, man. I, the idea that you have your genome completely in a you know you have a your yeah. genome banked mm-hmm. away and they say ooh uh what do you take what do you what drugs do you want today <laughs> um here let's check uh let's check what uh drugs your genome will allow and which drugs uh will have yep. a, an issue it's crazy i think that's un, un, unreal it brings us closer to becoming the true cyborgs that we want to be ain't that the dream <laughs> <laughs> Well, to be honest, isn't it the reality? <laughs> it is, it is. It's the reality that, that we want. Mm-hmm. You know, moving even further towards sci-fi. Oh, yeah. I think, you know, the idea that we've adapted the world to us. We've adapted, say, our limbs. We've adapted our body. But now it's a, a case of us trying to really 
use our mind and to the full potential that it has. And and there's this amazing topic called sensory substitution. And it's all to do with the brain's fascinating way to take in information that maybe it wasn't made to take in. And understanding patterns and okay. still using the data and still using it to your advantage. So in an example of sensory substitution is that you can get a, a deaf person who is uh, what you call, you know, deaf for life. They've, they've never, ever had the ability to hear. Profoundly deaf is the word I'm thinking of. Um, yeah. You get a profoundly deaf person mm-hmm. and you attach a vest to them, okay? A vest they can take on and off. And the vest is listening for voice and sound and everything else. And on the vest, it has an array of small little vibrating pistons. You know, just little tiny little vibrations that you can feel in your back in the front of you. And the microphone that's listening on the vest goes to a microprocessor, which converts that into a pattern of vibrations on your body on the vest. Yeah, yeah. The pattern, without you knowing consciously, over several weeks, your body, your mind works out that this pattern is sound. And not only is it sound, that it's language. Yeah. So um, researchers in America have been working on this. uh, One one professor, Professor Daniel Eagleman, he has been working on this for years and he created one of these vests. This is actually his experiment. And he's made people who are profoundly uh, deaf, not deaf anymore. And they wear the vest and they can hear sounds through vibrations on their back. That's crazy. And they can communicate with people That's... using using this. So, wow. so they can hear using this and then, you know, they can... Uh, basically uh, communicate with sign language then you know wow that is i i it's so hard to even comprehend that isn't it yeah and and i think the interesting thing is that you know daniel eagleman he calls it the the potato head model (laughs) you know mr potato head from toy story yeah and the idea (laughs) is that your peripheries are interchangeable yeah wow and not only interchangeable but accessorizable that you can add more peripheries or less peripheries. For example, snakes have pits on the front of their nose okay. that can detect infrared. Humans can't detect infrared. No. Um, bats detect really minute changes in air pressure called ultrasound. Yeah. Humans can't detect ultrasound. No. Final one, a lot of fish have uh, the ability to detect minute changes in the electric field of animals around them uh, a thing called the lateral line it's a sense that they have that we don't have yeah yeah so different animals have a different perception of the world around them yeah our perception is one way in which an animal can perceive our universe yeah it's mind-blowing you know? isn't it to to think about that it makes me think i i you might have it in your head somewhere but i remember reading about a shrimp that could punch very very hard like a bullet mm. right mm. and this this shrimp could punch so hard that it would uh it would break the sound barrier and that piercing of the sound barrier would kill its prey and scientists mm. were like that's really cool we're going to look <laughs> at this shrimp 
that's amazing. And then when they actually looked at the shrimp, they found out, oh, this shrimp looks like it's able to perceive millions and millions of colors in the spectrum of light that we mm-hmm. also see. But their mm-hmm. ability to, to see colors means the way they could detect it was that they just looked at the way that their eyes received light and then what their brain did with the light. And they were like, it's uncountable the number of colors that those shrimp could see. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, if there's the opportunity, I wouldn't mind spending 10 minutes in the body of a shrimp that can see billions of colors and punch so hard it can break the sound barrier. Mm-hmm. So if we're going in that direction, sign me up. <laughs> <laughs> and w- what if I told you, so first of all, this uh, idea of your kind of your subjective reality uh, that each animal's reality is slightly different or very different from yeah. the next is a, it's given a term it's a german word word it's called the umwelt and the translation is just surrounding world and the the idea is that our umwelt is like a imagine it like a, a bubble yeah around us yeah, yeah. okay and our bubble it kind of overlaps with a snake's bubble it's umwelt. Yeah. It's surrounding universe. It's a, it's perception. Yeah. But a part of its umwelt is slightly outside of ours because it can also detect ultraviolet light. Yeah. And the same with the bat. Its umwelt is slightly touching ours because it can see very indistinct wavelengths of light. It can see a little bit of light, um, but its hearing is incredible. So... Would you be interested in the idea of not just having sensory substitution, but sensory expansion? That we're the Mr. Potato Heads and (laughs) we go, hmm, oh, ultraviolet light, infrared. Hmm, do I want to detect those? Like, of course you do. It's exactly the same thing that's happening to the profoundly deaf, right? It's the Mm -hmm. exact same thing. This is a sensation that they have never experienced. They have no cognitive awareness of this sensation. And they can then perceive it. And, uh, yeah, I think it's really scary. And it makes me think of, like, the first time you have a drink or the first time you get drunk. And you do... I think everyone has a moment of, this isn't me. What's happening? You know, you're you're saying that as you're like swinging around lampposts and like, you, you know, you know, like, uh, you know, stuff like that. But um, you have that sensation of like, is is this me? And like, at what point do you? It's like, okay, the, apparently I can see infrared. I can see how hot someone is. You know, and like that would get weird. You know, if you could see temperature change, because it's not just people temperature change. You could see little change, like if a pocket of air, like a fart, was particularly hot leaving the body <laughs> and you had infrared vision, you could actively see <laughs> people like, oh, tooting their horn. Yeah, and you'd be, Dave, you'd be, and they'd farted. be like, yeah, exactly. Oh, that person just farted. There you go. Mm-hmm. That's, that's mm-hmm. who it is. And you could literally watch it. How scary is that? <laughs> just watch it waft around the room. <laughs> like, that's, that's an awareness that uh, sometimes you're better off not knowing because you, you, you'd see it coming after you. You'd and see Andrew, it. <laughs> the, the kind of weird thing about this is um, there is a subculture that is emerging today. Um, it's a subculture known as, they call themselves biohackers. And this subculture of people okay. are oh, totally pro-physically change 
my look change everything about me to mm-hmm. turn me into this sensory yeah sen- sensory expanded version of myself mm-hmm. and i'm sorry you were gonna say no i was gonna say that um that's totally common you know mm-hmm. like um did you ever see the movie limitless right limitless is it's what it is it's a guy who can take a pill and when he takes the pill his brain's ability to work mm-hmm. and his ability to do things is turned up to 100 okay and and a big part of that is based on the drug ritalin right and ritalin is like the the study drug that you hear about uh, it's endemic in universities in high stress situations yeah. students and business people as well who take this drug to enhance their attention mm-hmm enhance their ability to work and it's it's the same thing it's it's taking something or changing the way that you physically are because when you take those tablets or like like i said when you get drunk or anything like that you're no longer Mm -hmm. the you that you knew you were you know and that's crazy and the thing is though is i think the only reason that we don't take these tablets is that like like Ritalin, it's highly addictive. And once you're on it, mm-hmm. it's hard to go back. Like as much as I'm with all this cool vision and stuff, there is a fear that you, you can't go back. Mm-hmm. Life was simpler before and you can't go back. It's like growing up. It's like now you have this real image of the world. And you. It, it's like, it's it's exactly like growing up where you think, God, when I was a child, life was grand. I didn't think about politics or stuff that people in other countries said or mm-hmm. the the latest twitter drama or anything like that did not cross my mind i was just a child who laughed when i was playing in the garden <laughs> and cried when i didn't get mm-hmm. a cookie mm-hmm. i wanted and life was simpler you know and uh, you can't go back and i feel like it's the same thing with these like with that thing if, if you could take a pill or something like that that would turn you up to a hundred i think these biohackers don't want to go back yeah. i think that's the whole point they understand that their perception of the universe is only a very small portion and that they want more they're hungry maybe a little bit too hungry you know there's there's biohackers that are surgically implanting devices into their arms and into their legs into their necks themselves which is one thing that's crazy but um there's yeah. one thing called a RFID chip and all it is is basically a radio short distance radio frequency device it's about the size of a pill and people are just okay. taking a little slit in between their thumb and their index finger and sticking that in there. And what that RFID chip does is it's like a personal security measure. So you can use it to activate your laptop. You can use it to open an automatic door. You can use it to turn your car on. That's kind of like the low level of the biohacking subculture. But people are going to great depths to try and change their and enhance their body as much as they can with current technology and not to mention with not a lot of money. Absolutely. And I think that there is this kind of really grey area ethical issue with this. And I think that's where yeah. the 
the people who want to be a cyborg and the people who don't, that's where they clash. But there's one, there's actually one amazing technology that's coming out that I think biohackers will jump on. Even the idea of it, they will throw themselves at it. It's this amazing technology that the first version (laughs) is actually just going to be used as a medical device to cure neurological diseases and spinal cord injuries. Um, and it's it's actually Elon Musk right. who is backing the company. The company is is known as Neuralink. The idea is that they are going to create a product that is the size of small coin, maybe two or three centimeters in diameter. And wait for it, it gets weird. They're going to get a a, a large robot to um, surgically <laughs> implant this into your skull. So that sounds tasty. Fun. Imagine being like, yeah, give it to me, give it to me. What do I have to do? Ah, you just need to get a hole drilled into your skull. Do it. I don't want to Shove it in. Shove it in. (laughs) But it's like, that's that's scary. Um, I don't know how how comfortable I would be with Mm -hmm. um, just being like, yeah, go for it. (laughs) You know, just get on in there. Yeah. And, you know, know, give it a shot. (laughs) Why not? Yeah, because I... You have nothing if you don't have your brain. You, so it's you'd want they'd want to be careful. But like, how so do you get that on the market? If one goes the wrong, reason they're it's using sunk. a surgical robot is for the precision. Oh, man. So they want to first of all that technology is in production. They haven't made it yet. That robot mm. is one of the most important parts of the whole technology yeah. because. Without that super precise robot, you don't get the surgery. Yeah. You don't get the device. Because humans are simply too shaky and yeah. we're, you know, even the best surgeons in the world, there's a micro shake of a couple of microns and that could be an issue. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. Like, like it's making me think because you'd obviously, you'd need to line this device, this plate of technology into the brain and you can't miss you know, you, you need to bullseye it. You can't be happy with the 25. And uh, you need to hit the exact location mm-hmm. in the brain that you have recognized that has the issue. Because if you miss it, or if you over, if, if you put a too large a coin in, for example, you're only going to mm-hmm. affect areas that are healthily working. You know what I'm saying? So like, let's say if it was something along the lines of paralysis in the hand, and you put in a coin that was too large... What could end up happening is that you could gain control in your hand, but you would lose control in your forearm because it's a very it's a very close location. So the precision in this it, it, it's it's literally the tiniest amount. It needs it needs to hit the exact subset of neurons that this is focused on because if mm-hmm. you hit a healthy neuron, you're taking something away. Yeah, because the ini- the initial the initial idea is that the coin sized Neuralink device is it sits in the top of your skull in that little area. It stays there. It actually goes under the skin. The skin is sealed up after, right? So you wouldn't even know that you had this thing. But the yeah, there's a hundred electrode s- wires. And they're very very small sub. They're they're something like half a micron or something like that really really thin okay and these have already been the surgical robot puts these in the the robot itself has an artificial intelligence technology that can basically see whether there's blood vessels or not 
and it will never put in one of these electrodes where there's a blood vessel because that would be very bad and when you're talking <laughs> yes, about the upper would. cortex like when you're you're talking about just the the first couple of millimeters of the top of the brain definitely preventing those electrodes from going into the blood vessels they already have that technology that exists but but you know so let's get past that kind of obstacle that's because crazy. i think that's an obstacle first of all it's an obstacle that freaks us out and rightly so please don't stick a hundred little wires in my brain <laughs> and start me uh, yeah. start internal brain bleeding please that would be great yeah it'd be a weird place to find a penny <laughs> You know. <laughs> and, and so like the idea is once we get past that obstacle big obstacle Neuralink is going to be able to send electrical signals into the brain right yes and it will actually be able to listen to the brain and what it's trying to do so say the brain say there's a spinal injury okay the brain is trying to send signals down to whatever periphery you are trying to move okay yeah it will be able to pick that information up and if you have another neural implant past where the spinal injury is you can actually implant it at the other side of the neural injury send that information live and potentially that information goes to the rest of the nervous system and then you have function of your limbs again it's called a neural shunt that's amazing and that technology is what this Neuralink initially is being made for it sounds like if paralysis was having an orchestra that was just the cymbals were whacking all the time and no timing at all the the saxophones and the violins were going wild Mm -hmm. one was playing beethoven the other was playing Hans zimmer you know you had someone in the back playing britney spears (laughs) you know it was a wild thing neuralink sounds like it's sending in the conductor Mm mm-hmm It sounds like it's sending in something that will organize this grand orchestra of neuronal signaling that has gone awry Mm -hmm. and it it will settle the nerves of the orchestra. Yeah. (laughs) Why aren't they saying uh, this? We should market for them. Yeah. give us money um <laughs> but but seriously though seriously though it's um that to a large degree that's what's going on here it's uh it's creating a consistency across it and uh, also in a lot of situations where sometimes the neurons are misfiring it would also in other situations actually encourage firing yeah like um there's situations of like a neurodegeneration right and in, and in a lot of situations with neurodegeneration you're thinking like alzheimer's you're thinking like parkinson's alzheimer's we hear about a lot so we'll go with that one what happens in a lot of these situations is that the neurons get clogged like a pipe and information can't easily move through it it's like having frozen pipes in the winter mm-hmm. you get a dribble of information in right but you don't actually get the full whack yeah. but something like Neuralink can turn the little dribble that's coming through into a proper, uh, a proper. Sorry, <laughs> you put Aiden is is just licking a lovely bit of wine that happened to get onto his hand, and it put me off. Such a beautiful accident. <laughs> Such a, a beautiful accident. But um, in these neurons that um, they're not firing efficiently, Neuralink could say, "Here's the extra kick you needed. You know, here's the boost you needed. Here's an extra bit of signal." Mm-hmm. So you can get past this barrier of neurodegeneration. It's not something that would cure 
the neurodegeneration that that would still be like a pathology a, a there'd still be the disease causing thing within the neuron but this will power up the neurons all right and very literally and very physically power up those neurons and like even right now the way that we treat these diseases is by taking drugs that power them mm -hmm. up except the problem with that is that these drugs go all over the body and do all sorts of things and not only do they go all over the body but they go all over the brain okay and the brain is in a very good balance and if you say here's a load of power and it'll go to every single place in the brain that will take that extra power and do something mm -hmm. okay but with Neuralink it will only act in the one place, which means that you won't get all of these side effects, yeah. which is, it's uh, ideal. <laughs> the first target is with the spinal injuries because of the fact that that neural shunt is, the neural link is gaining information, not sending information. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I think the next obstacle is sending information. And that's what I'm skeptical about. Yeah. Because that, as you said, would take some surgical precision not only surgical precision but a very good understanding of the disease itself the, yeah. as you said precision medicine will need to be used there not even the understanding of the disease but the uh, understanding of the brain and um, as a neuroscientist I, I, I'm going to lean in and just say I don't think it's quite there yet <laughs> you know like uh, we understand a lot a lot about the brain and uh, we understand a lot of the molecular mechanisms that within neurons that produce signals mm -hmm. and we understand the way that information travels from A to B. Mm -hmm. But uh, there's a certain language amongst neurons that we haven't quite interpreted yet. Yeah. And, uh, you know, about how, how these signals tie in together and speak to each other to come up with something that produces a ballet dancer's elegant movement. Mm -hmm. Okay, we look at it and we're going, Jesus, those, those <laughs> crikey, those elect those electrics are pretty cool, dude. <laughs> and then, it, and then, it, but it, it manifests in something amazing. Yeah, and um, that's another barrier where we're talking about the precision of not only hitting the correct neurons, but we don't yet know exactly how these neurons all communicate with each other. But maybe something like if you put in Neuralink to try and understand these things first. Yes. That could be a thing because um, it, it, it it's generally understood that not every brain is the same. Okay, similar to a uh, similar to a fingerprint, uh, where we all have an arm, we all have hands, we all have fingers, but the fingerprint is different. Okay, so we have a different uh, architecture within the brain. So what might actually be happening is that Neuralink might have to send in its own equivalent blank state. You know, mm -hmm. something that will actually go onto the surface of the brain and have to receive information to find out what's going on. And likely using something like artificial intelligence, AI, to actually figure out what's going on, mm -hmm. it might be able to figure it out. Yeah. And that's something that we physically couldn't. Like, we, we, it'd be almost impossible for us to interpret that. But something with much, much greater calculating power receiving that data, there is a chance. And I think... The most ironic thing about all of this is the fact that the brain and its capability is dumbfounding. We just yeah. simply aren't there yet in our understanding of it. And I think that's kind of hilarious. Yeah, it is. It, but it, what's it, hilarious <laughs> is that we understand that we don't understand. Yeah. And we actually don't really need to fully understand because the brain does. Yeah. And if we can be sure of that 
Why don't we just do it? <laughs> For some reason, all that's coming to mind is kind of like uh, in the 50s and 60s, there was a thing of they were like, we can see that bees can fly, but we don't know how bees can fly. And all of the best <laughs> aeronautical engineers were like, we can't quite figure out how bees manage flight. And yeah. It's a similar thing where at a certain point, maybe just let go of that part. Like they, they obviously mm-hmm. figured out now how bees fly. But to move forwards, maybe just acknowledge, skip that step. Just say, right, we can literally see bees flying. We don't know how. Yeah. Yeah. But that's kind of a moot point if we're trying to make honey. Yeah. You know, so we need to just charge ahead. Go on. And I what love this, it. what this Neuralink technology allows and lets us kind of dream up is ideas of sensory addition and expansion. Things like if you could master that reading and writing technology of the Neuralink brain interface yeah you could enable things like telepathy yeah where you would not need to speak to converse with someone beside Mm -hmm. you to have a dialogue and not only to have a dialogue but to transfer a complex idea yeah to another person in an extremely efficient and fast way Mm -hmm. because right now the way that humans communicate and even the way that we use technology and we communicate using mobile phones and computers, the rate of data transfer is abysmally low. Yeah, for we're sure. Tapping, we're tapping the screen with our feckin' thumbs, Andrew. <laughs> we're like monkeys tapping screens, right? Yeah. And the next step is, you know what? Screw that. That's a terrible way of transferring information. <laughs> Let's just go straight from one Neuralink. The Neuralink picks up the information in your brain, sends it to a satellite. Satellite sends that information to your Neuralink. And then you understand exactly what I'm thinking. A 3D model of a building, a complete pathway of a biochemical pathway in an organ. My thesis of my PhD. Yeah, done. Because I don't know what the hell that means. <laughs> but maybe you would if I sent it to you via Neuralink. That's crazy. Or, or, But like, there's other applications too. What if you shoved that inside of Roger Federer and then we all got a download of how to play tennis like Roger Federer? Like, that's another possibility. You could do the same thing with uh, Messi, Ronaldo in soccer. You could do the same thing with how to sprint perfectly with Usain Bolt. Like, mm-hmm. that's amazing. And no doubt that there'd probably be a price to these things. But uh, mm-hmm. imagine that. Imagine just being like, oh, man, did you see that the Roger Federer in 2004 package just went on sale? Man, yeah, I, that wouldn't be too bad. I'd show up my friends then. You know, it's only 50,000 euros. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so affordable. Um, 90% off in the Black Friday sale. <laughs> It's only my entire life savings. Unreal. But like, there's other applications as well, right? So let's say you had this, instead of the coin Neuralink, we had this blanket Neuralink that was like a a layer covering the entire brain, right? That could pick up on all the signals going on. Mm -hmm. Another application of this would be in any given moment to record your signals. You could record your signals, right? And then like, which is the equivalent of a memory? what was going on in your brain in this moment, you record the next 10 minutes. And at any point, 
you can call back to that memory and exactly relive it. Mm-hmm. You know, because the, the blanket Neuralink could capture the information and then send it back to you and put you back into that state of perception, sit you back in the same seat, make you feel like you're sitting in it and feel everything again. Which would be re- so sci-fi, right? I know, now. I know, but it, it is. It would, it would, it would change shower arguments for the remainder of <laughs> everything because you could go back into that moment and actually tell them and see how they'd react and watch, watch their face as they go, oh, "They got me!" No, and then go back to your shower. Uh, but like, <laughs> no. But Andrew, you know the terrible <laughs> thing about memories, right? That memories are kind of fluid, and yeah, it's not always the same. It's not, though. Between two people. It's not. Not at all. And uh, so that would change a lot of things because uh, <laughs> your, your perception of memory changes over time. Like, there's a reason we have something called, uh, we, we have 2020 hindsight, but in reality, it's kind of not. It's not 2020 hindsight. You, you don't mm-hmm. remember exactly how angry you were in a moment. There are, sometimes you might get into an argument and in the moment you'd want to kill the person you're with and then... Later, you'd realize, God, I was overreacting. And yeah. you'd look back on that moment and you wouldn't think of the anger. You'd, you'd, you've, have, you've now placed a completely different set of emotions on it where you look back on it and it's almost more of a maybe you're ashamed that you overreacted. Maybe you're upset yeah. that you treated another person poorly and you could have done better. And you don't go back and think of that memory and go, oh, I'm all angry again. That's just not how we work. And I think that fits in well with the idea of our umwelt our perception yeah. of our own universe maybe it's a personal thing yeah um and and actually just to jump even f- higher in this kind of idea keep going keep where going where we can go <laughs> we've adapted the world to us we've adapted ourselves but really the the precipice of that is not having a body at all because <laughs> Why Why do you need it? <laughs> like Futurama, like the presidents in their uh, their little uh, goldfish jars. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, like a head in a jar. But who needs the head? Just screw the head. Okay. Upload the data to the cloud and everyone's into the cloud. In the cloud. <laughs> oh, my God. And there's a couple, there's a couple land dwellers. Oh, my God. Or real brainies or whatever really? and they'll those those poor real brainies will probably be picked on and be those, the bottom of society those but those pathetic real brainies who yeah, couldn't the, save the, couldn't save up 30 million euro ugh, for this uh, pathetic, eternal pathetic life. land walkers <laughs> oh my gosh and but the idea is that the end of this road is living forever yeah and that's something I was actually just thinking about, right? When we... So there's there's a point when you're dying, right? Where something gives up, right? That that tends to be how it goes. You know, some, your, your lungs give up, your heart mm-hmm. gives in, something stops working. And it's a natural process. As we all know, we're not meant to live forever. Um, but what if you just went on to life support? Mm-hmm. Because you don't need to have all your organs working. You know, a machine can breathe for you. A machine can uh, pump your heart for you if needed. You can filter your can, filter your blood, filter your food. You don't need to eat necessarily. You can get it all put into your veins. And say hypothetically, when you were dying, right, and this information was two decades away, mm-hmm. what's stopping you in your 80s or 90s from saying, 
I've saved up this much money. I want to be kept on life support for 20 years until this information, this technology is available. Then I want to have it put over my brain and I want to be rescued. Mm -hmm. And you're not going to die because then you're somewhat reborn. Even though that does bring in the next question of, um, you know, it's uh, if you take a signal of my brain and you have now captured the entirety that is Andrew McGovern, everything in his messed up twiddly biddly brain of all these things going around and <laughs> cobwebs and you've saved it and you've uploaded it and now my consciousness is elsewhere but my consciousness yeah. is still in this land dweller mm-hmm. so the consciousness that's gone off isn't actually me i personally do not get to experience this eternity of life i do not me the creature who had to be this pathetic little brainy person or this pathetic little land dweller I do not get to. It is two separate entities. The moment that uh, Neuralink produces a copy of my brain independent of myself, two different things. So where do you draw the line on living forever? Because it's like Andrew McGovern could live forever, but not this one. A different one. It's Andrew McGovern underscore one. (laughs) underscore one (laughs) but that's it yeah you when you upload your consciousness and allow it free reign Mm -hmm. that's when you're like okay i just created a parallel universe yeah and so both of your lives will go on at the same time and they'll be completely and utterly different well if we're the same thing they'd be quite similar i imagine you know if you're in if you're in the cloud though you're, you're going to be able to do whatever the hell you want well you'd have different stresses <laughs> <laughs> but like like that's cloud problems cloud pro- hashtag cloud problems <laughs> god this oh this person in front of me is taking up all the wavelength for god's sake i need that and you this is taking, we're, we're gone way over time, but this is so enjoyable. It is, it is. It is. Uh, but, but like, no, no, I'm, I'm not finished just yet. We're nearly there, but I'm not I'm not either, yet. dude. I, I want to keep going. I want to keep going too. Okay. If you're a creature of the cloud, a creature of the cloud, I love that idea, right? I'm a, I'm a cloud dweller. Okay. This is the next step, right, that I'm thinking about. You are a cloud dweller. You have no need for earthly things, Right. Correct? You've no need for Yes, I'm not like you land dwellers. Pathetic. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Why would you need to... This is a callback to a previous episode, but why would you need to leave Earth? Why would we ever need to explore the universe? How do... Like, like, uh, we wouldn't at all, would we? Why would you? You're you're an entity beyond the universe. You're you you are because you're just in this this extremely ex- what must have the largest angriest fan in eternity to keep itself <laughs> cool. Just going. <laughs> what what's on that computer there, George? Oh, that's all of humanity over the cast the last thousand years, the last millennia. Don't worry, it uses a Dyson sphere to uh, to <laughs> to energize it anyway. But if you didn't listen to that first episode, that this ain't gonna make sense. But like, <laughs> but like, okay, but okay, okay, reverse, 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 reverse. Back to going back. Okay, you you upload yourself and you do all of that shenanigans. Um, uh, you you don't have sensation then. So we spent the whole entire beginning of this talking about adding sensations, right? You're talking about seeing infrared light you're seeing uh, ultraviolet light you're 
experiencing um, sound waves that you couldn't previously experience. You're, you, you would be able to breathe underwater. You'd be able to fly in the sky with all these different things, even if it was in a virtual realm. But you can't experience a tear running down your face. You can't experience the pain of breaking your leg. You can't experience the state of being a little more angry than usual when you haven't had your afternoon lunch. <laughs> you um, you don't have any of these experiences, and um, as much as, as much as we don't want, what, what, did you say why not? Yeah, because they're not because eth- you're in you're an ethereal being. <laughs> <laughs> How are we both in a cloud and still? experiencing these things do you think in a if you were this entity you would actively say i want to be in the single worst state of depression that any any creature imaginably ever has been is that like a halloween special or something like oh yeah dude we're all you like think yourself up in 127 hours and you're like (laughs) oh my arm's caught i'm gonna have to saw it off with a spoon is that is that <laughs> is, is that the experience? Is that like so? You're just walking through this like it, this uh, infinite um, shopping center of experiences that you can enjoy, and you'd be like, "Oh, so that's how the land dwellers used to do it." <laughs> and like we're talking about this, but like at a certain point, isn't that somewhere within this right? There is the end of humanity because if we all just get uploaded onto the onto the cloud, you still mm. need to make the babies. And if you're you not, still need land dwellers. Yeah, if you're not making the babies, who's gonna run the the big ass computer that holds all of the that holds heaven? Which I do love the mm. idea of. Imagine just having a giant, giant server that just says heaven. Ima- <laughs> that would that would be it. <laughs> but imagine that would be it, and it blows my mind because I I love the idea of like um, that's a server that can't crash. Oh, no. oh! Imagine that's no, that's 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 not a crime against humanity. That's a crime against the 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 next stage. <laughs> I think it's doing them all a favor, man. I think it's a terrible idea. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Just, I think it's a bloody terrible idea. Can't you hear? Can't you hear them all crying in pain? No, no. You, you just listened into the, the, the. There's a load of people experiencing. You know, it's you can it, plug. Yeah. you can plug a headphone into the server and you just put it in for one second. It's just screens and like total chaos. You like plug it out. But like, you, I you, didn't uh, hear that. You could just like listen, like. But like that would be a thing. Let's say okay, if you have a man, we we've gone way off the board now. But let's say you do have this infinite option of experience. I would one hundred percent at some point say, send me to the worst imaginable hell for a day. I'm not gonna mm. enjoy it, not a bit. But I want to experience it. That's a that's something that, you know, a horrible, horrible experience. But horrible experiences are still an important makeup of life. You know, I I think I think like another application of this is not to let them not to let that parallel life continue, but just to pause it where you stored it. So yeah. you have the the coat over your brain. And it takes a snapshot of your entire brain activity. Yeah. And that is your psyche uploaded to the cloud and stored. Yeah. So, when you die, or if something happens to you, mm-hmm. your memory can be restored. In a robotic land-dwelling body. In a robotic <laughs> land-dwelling body where so many things 
Of or you can just have so many things replaced in terms of organs and limbs that you're you're just bionic. And your brain your brain gave out after three hundred years. It lasted three hundred years, Andrew. <laughs> and it did as well as it could, but it finally gave out and now you just have a robotic version of your mind and they uploaded that to your brain. And there you go, you're a robot. We sure have come a long way from Jack the Donkey. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. That's it. You what know, a great uh, in the last eighty minutes, we've made a big old journey. I- I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> from Jack the Donkey. <laughs> from Jack the Donkey to uh, mines and clouds. Uh, from from where we have been to where we might be, at least in our imagination. And <laughs> um, you know what yeah. the kind of depressing reality of it all is? What? That we're going to probably nuke ourselves in like oh, 10 years and stop. we're all going to die. Oh, uh, well, so. you know. Wah, 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 wah. That'll be it. No, no, no. I, I have a better one. We're going to build this heaven server and try to save humanity, but it'll flood because of global warming. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. I love it. This is the end of the podcast. We hope you enjoyed your time If you're feeling generous And you're not completely skinned Why don't you give us some of your money Join our Patreon Join our Patreon Join our Patreon Join our Patreon. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.